This is I'd Rather Be Right, a podcast about big ideas and better predictions. And dick jokes. Which is why this isn't financial, legal, or even dating advice. We might be rich, successful, and good-looking, but Mark Cuban hates us. So prepare to enjoy the best podcast that only awesome, charming, and attractive people like you listen to. Hello, welcome back to the I'd Rather Be Right podcast with Luke and Nate. It is Thursday, March 10th, here in very cloudy Albuquerque, New Mexico. Nate is somewhere in Peru, I think last I heard, chasing um, some gold that he heard was out there because he's going to use it to prove to all the Bitcoin haters on the internet that gold isn't worth anything. And it's not really useful because if you can just go down to Peru and find it in the river, (laughs) <laughs> Who wants to use that as money? Sorry. Anyways, Nate. It's going? <laughs> it's going pretty well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what I was doing. Actually, weirdly enough, remember my trip to Puerto Rico and the cruise? I went to Aruba. Yeah. So I went to Aruba, and there, um, one thing they did show up. So Aruba, there was a gold rush to Aruba at one point. They found some in sort of what's now the National Park. Uh, they had been looking for a while, you know, the obviously the pirates and everyone else and all of the Spaniards and whoever else was trying to conquer down there. And they finally found some. And so what? They, and it's right near. So basically, they hit a big giant volcano a long time ago that blew up and created Aruba, right? So they have a bunch of lava rocks, and they found it near the national park. Well, the lava rocks are also near the national parks. They built a, a, a smelting factory to melt down all the gold, and they used the lava rocks. And interestingly enough, they did a lava. And it's right along the kind of right near the coast. So weirdly enough, if you look, if you were like driving, basically, if you're sailing by on a sailboat as a pirate it would blend in with the background. So the idea is that you wouldn't see the smelting factory to be able to attack it. But also from a, also there was a bunch of jagged rocks right along there. So like, if you tried to, you'd also um, run your uh, ship ashore and, and, and ground it so, and, and destroy it. So it was designed like the right spot to be his camouflage. And then the lava rocks could also from an engineering standpoint withstand the heat of the smelting factory uh, to burn down the, um, the gold. So I, I was down there. I was like, I was, I was, listen to this and i was like you know i'm thinking from a bitcoiner perspective and like from a monetary perspective i'm just see i see the security in two forms you know they put the location so they would run aground they also use the camouflage right that's security uh just like our proof of work is security right um and then i was also thinking from like just the engineering standpoint of why they picked that was another re- the other reason they picked the lava rocks was from an engineering standpoint which is obviously very important to bitcoin as well how it's engineered so it was pretty cool. interesting I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah, like I, I was just trying. I mean, the ruins are kind of falling apart, but you can you can see them, and I, we drove past them, so it was pretty cool. So, randomly uh, enough, that that's my gold story from relatively recently. Well, if uh, I just come up with a random thing, because I was just arguing with someone on the internet, person thought I was like, "No, nah, Bitcoin sucks. It's all about gold." I was like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> of all the things, gold. Like, first of all, gold has more in common with Bitcoin than it does fiat. I don't know. That was that was a whole thing. So. Yeah. Glad we got a story out of uh, your trip there, though. How was it? You didn't you didn't tell everyone how it was. Oh uh, yeah, time. I didn't have time. It was um it was fun, a lot of fun. I actually really enjoyed it a lot. Um, it was it was interesting. So like we did, I did Old San Juan like two days before, then I jumped on the cruise, and the cruise was just nonstop drinking, nonstop yeah. partying. Like it was a lot. I, even I was just like, okay. <laughs> By the time I was done, like I got off and we did Old San Juan for two days at the end too. 
I did it for the two days. And I'm so glad I had those two days built in where I would have had to go right back to work almost exhausted. Instead, I just kind of bummed around old San Juan and did a lot more. Like I did a lot of the walking, the free walking uh, paths up there to see all the city and just sort of bummed around, had a few drinks and read, read a lot just to kind of recoup from all the nonstopness of the, uh, of the trip. And of yeah. The cruises. cruises are crazy. Just unlimited. Everything is just it's yeah. a lot. It was unlimited booze, unlimited food. And then like, yeah. we had a, I had a port almost every single day. So there was, it was six days out of the seven days um, and six ports. And I, I think I, I got off a board of five of them. I skipped one of them and stayed on board. There was one day it was like, it was a very short one. It was like 7 a.m. to like noon. And so I don't, I have trouble getting up even normal time in a reasonable hour to get off that ship and get, do something. So it's like that day I just treated it like a sea, at sea day. All the other ones were, you know, most of the day. So I could get up and I would set up my, and by the excursions that were started around noon or so. <laughs> that was about when I was fully aware of the world. <laughs> Just living that party lifestyle on a cruise ship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was fun. I really enjoyed it. But uh, yeah. That's awesome. I haven't been on a cruise in many years. I don't know if I ever will go on one again. I just, I've been on so many at this point. I'm like, you know what? What's the point? What's the point? But the... free beer and free food. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I've been on a lot. I've been to Alaska. I've been down to like South America, like Belize and stuff, and a couple other ones. I'm just like, man. And after COVID, I'm just like, I don't know if I want to be packed on a hotel on in the middle of the ocean. Like, <laughs> I mean, if you're, COVID if you're and Russia, they, I don't know. they took it pretty seriously at the time. I assume they're going to take it less seriously as it goes on. But you know, I was fully vaxxed. I was double boosted because I got the COVID. Uh, I got the J and J, and I lied. And said I was never said I was never boosted. Really? The second boosted. Yeah, because I it was J and J, and J and J like looks terrible against Omicron. And I was just like, I want to get on a cruise ship for How ten did you days. Lie? I, I had to, so basically the second time when I did go to get boosted originally, I forgot my card, my vaccine card, and they rebuilt it. It was oh both the times it was through the Alexandria uh, County, so they just, they could look in my records and they rebuilt the card. So I had my old card, and I went to oh, CVS. Wow. <laughs> in fact, they did ask, "Do you have? A, are you immunocompromised?" I go, "No." You just want it, like, yeah, okay. And I think so. I think they actually did look at my record and notice they just didn't care because the, the thing is, immunocompromised. I'm pretty sure are already authorized by the FDA. So it's like, if the immunocompromised can handle a second dose, then I should be able to handle a second dose. Yeah. And also, San Francisco, San Francisco Health Department has already approved it before the FDA for J and J recipients. And then all these infectious disease experts were like, if I had the J&J, I'd get boosted twice because it probably should have been a two-shot regimen in the beginning. Anyway, so. Yeah, it was interesting. I learned about like the different, um, like, I don't, I don't know what the right word is, what maybe like the load of the, whatever the, the vaccine is and like how, like they were all different. Like Moderna was the, had like 300 whatever units and Pfizer was like 100 units. And like J and J was like I don't know like fifty five units. I was like oh wow. So like these are really I got the Moderna all three times. So I was like oh I was like are you, are you sure guys trying? To? It's like they they developed theirs like to the limit of like what was safe. <laughs> They're yeah. like yeah we just like went to what was safe and then just like one notch down. I was like that's what you gave me. Dang dude. <laughs> also the boosters are half doses. That's the other thing. So it's not exactly are that they? risky. Yeah. And then I also I also have I had COVID. So you know, yeah yeah you whatever. had COVID. Yeah. I haven't, so you lost that one. Uh, I did lost lose that, that one. one. 
but and but, I you got, you, but you nail CPI out of the out of the gate, and we oh, it's up to seven point nine today. I don't know if you saw that. So yeah. CPI skyrocket. You know how we were you were thinking? Oh, it might go higher, then it'll come down yeah. lower. I was thinking it might go lower a little bit and then skyrocket later. Here's the thing: I think we're gonna get the worst of both. I think it's just gonna skyrocket it's for gonna like three going, years. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, I didn't actually think like Russia. Like I didn't factor in Russia invading Ukraine. Like I know we predicted that one correctly as well. But I didn't like actually factor that into my inflation prediction for some reason. I was like, yeah, it's fine. Well, like, some part of it, I think happen. the real the thing we didn't really factor in, I think, was the part we both got wrong, which is that Ukraine would fight really hard and therefore yeah, Western sentiment right. would change very, very quickly. And we cut Russia out of SWIFT and everything. I still believe that if Russia had just run through Ukraine like everyone expected, that that never would have happened. Like they That's would have never gotten kicked out of SWIFT, all those, and the sanctions wouldn't have been as severe and stuff. So I, I I think that's largely what's going on that like surprised me. And certainly that's a part I think we, we didn't do a prediction on, but I think both of us got wrong, even if we hadn't done a prediction, like I can tell you, I did not think that was going to happen. And therefore I was looking at our actual prediction list and everything I, it actually completely changes some of the odds of a lot of things we were predicting on. It impacts a lot of things. It'd be fun sometime to go through them probably maybe next time. Cause we got a pretty full slate today, but if we have time, we can talk about it if we get there. But it was interesting just to look down the list. I go, oh, that changed, that changed. That's going to happen even faster than I thought. You know, like like Bitcoin adoption is going to happen faster. I thought we were on a 10 to 30 year tam- timeline. I think we're on a five to 10, t- 10 year timeline now. I think it's much faster. Well, that's a good segue. Did a Biden come out with his, I saw he's saying something about creating a digital dollar, okay. which I still don't understand, but. Yes, I will definitely jump into the EEO for one second, but real quick, my, for those of you watching the video, you might see that I'm, I'm not in my normal spot. I'm my sister's. I'm watching the dog. I can't have it at my apartment, so I have to stay at my sister's. And I'm just mentioning this because the dog has a tendency to look outside, see the fox that hangs out outside, and go berserk. Because the fox would just sit in the yard and stare at her. <laughs> so if that's the dog hilarious. goes completely off, just know that, that there's a fox outside that's been teasing her for like a few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and she like i was i took her out to pee earlier and like she went behind she peed then went behind like a bush real quick and was digging and then just went berserk i was like is the fox there or like the fox poop over there because it's kind of where the fox sometimes hangs out according to pictures my sister sent me i haven't seen the fox yet but it's only a tiny little wooded area behind my sister's house but it's like decided that's his home and it comes out and sits in the yard and kind of stares at my dog i mean sister's dog through the window so so if she goes that's goes cool. berserk that's that's what's going on okay i just wanted to mention that but yes back to the eo okay so yeah the eo came out executive order on digital assets and i would say it's it was as good as we could expect and probably better than even i thought it was going to be um so i think we need to set this up first what what is it really it's not making any rules at all it's mainly a, mainly a call for all the agencies concerned agencies to create reports and that's pretty much every agency so i'll read the policy section on section one and it'll give you kind of a framework of what they're looking at so section one the policy advances in digital and distributed ledger technology for financial services have led to dramatic growth in markets for digital assets with profound implications for protection for consumers investors businesses including data privacy and security financial stability and systemic risk crime, national security, the ability to exercise human rights, financial inclusion and equity, and energy demand and climate change. In November 2021, non-state issued digital assets reached a combined market capitalization of $3 trillion, up from approximately $14 billion in early November 2016. 
monetary authorities globally are also exploring, and in some cases introducing, central bank digital currencies, CBDCs. While many activities involving digital assets are within the scope of existing domestic laws and regulations, an area where the United States has been a global leader, growing development and adoption of digital assets and related innovations, as well as inconsistent controls to defend against certain key risks, necessitate an evolution and alignment of the United States government approach to digital assets. The United States has an interest in responsible financial innovation, expanding access to safe and affordable financial services, and reducing the cost of domestic and cross-border funds transfers and payments including through the continued modernization of public payment systems. We must, make, we must take strong steps to reduce the risk that digital assets could pose to consumers, investors, and business protections. Financial stability and financial system integrity, combating and preventing crime and illicit finance, national security, the ability to exercise human rights, financial inclusion and equity, and climate change and pollution. So it's pretty broad. Just about every agency you can think of is involved in this. And they're asking for reports. The one notable exception here is actually my expertise, the tax. They didn't mention anything about tax, probably because it was included in the uh, infrastructure bill, if you recall. And they might think that covered it, which really it didn't. Or maybe they think it's going to be fixed with some subsequent leg legislation, which might happen as well. So, But regardless, that's kind of the framework. So think of just about every single agency in the United States government is going to have to report create different reports. And the reports are gonna be due from 90 days, 120, 120 days, 180 days, 210 days, and up to one year where they kind of edit some of the reports they came up with. So there's many, many different things coming up. And it did focus heavily on CBDCs or central bank digital currencies. And a lot of people on Twitter were freaking out. And I think the freak out was a little irresponsible because it's simply not making any rules about it, it's asking them for reports on it. Um, and it's looking both reports from a domestic perspective and other foreign countries. So it's asking not just whether we should do it and what are the risks and the, you know, the reasons we should do it and the reasons we shouldn't do the risk and benefits code of calculation. But it's also asking from foreign governments, like what if they do it? Uh, how can they plug into our system? That kind of thing. So, and what are the risks if they, they adopt it and we don't, that's these kind of things. So um, it's it's far more uh, broad than I think the people on Twitter who probably haven't read the, read the read the whole executive order in its entirety. It's really not that long. You can probably read it in about 10, 15 minutes, but it's not it's not for certain they're ever going to, they're going to do it. They probably won't, would be my guess. Uh, they can probably, they, they can literally just, there's also a call to study stable coins within it. And they could just, adopt the stablecoin regime and allow stablecoin like uh, companies like Gemini to plug directly into the Federal Reserve, just like every bank has a account with the Federal Reserve. And they could get pretty much the same thing. And they don't have to deal with part of it. They're talking about is all the technical issues of like building this thing. They don't have to deal with it. You know, Gemini and all these other companies have already figured that out. So I think that's might be the likely outcome for the United States. Um, the reason Bitcoiners do not like it as a general rule is they're worried about our they already don't like the current financial manipulation. They think this goes even further with financial manipulation. The idea is that if you you didn't do the right things, they could cut your bank account out completely because it's a direct line with the Federal Reserve. Um, they could print easily, even more easily than they can right now. And without us knowing it, uh, they could freeze your accounts because everything would be attached to this. Um, so they sort of see it as a way to engage in financial repression, I think. And I don't think they're wrong, for the record. Um, with that being said, other countries are going to do it anyway. So it's, I'm glad that they're actually studying it. 
I'm sorry. Did you imply that there's people on Twitter that didn't do their research and then just had knee-jerk reactions? Yes. Is that what you're implying, sir? That's a, no, no, not applying it. I'm stating it. <laughs> <laughs> this is outrageous. Okay. We're taking this to the top. <laughs> you can't believe it, right? Yeah. So I can't uh, believe it. Yeah. So if you, but if you read it, if you read it, it's a lot more nuanced. The other thing is it would be irresponsible. I think it would be naive to think that they weren't going to engage in regulations and in, in this. It's like childish naivete. The people who are like, oh, I just, the best thing would be if they didn't do any regulations at all. Well, never going to happen. Also, they're not wrong. The, like all the digital assets do impact every single one of those areas we talked about. We've talked about on this podcast here. So they are right to study it. It would be crazy for them not to study it. Uh, it doesn't mean that they, them studying it will come to the wrong conclusion. In fact, the reasons that we come to the conclusions that we do on this podcast is because we have studied it, right? So I expect the government to do the same thing. I'm glad they're taking it seriously. I think they're relatively early in the game compared to other countries. Uh, El Salvador probably being the earliest, um, but compared to other countries, it, we've been pretty early. And this, in regard, we've also been pretty fair to private uh, digital assets, as far as I can tell. We haven't been slamming them too hard, except for the real frauds and even the outright some of the outright frauds. We don't seem to be going after, which is annoying me a little bit. So. Um, I think we've actually been pretty good about it, and I'm glad they're going to get on it. So I, I'm I'm excited, or excited might be the wrong, um, maybe a little too extreme, but I'm definitely very interested to to see what the reports come out with and all the various reports. Um, also, so let's talk about the CDBCs a little bit because I cropped some of it. Um, there's their policy. They think that sovereign money is at the core of a well-functioning financial system, macroeconomic stabilization policies, and economic growth. And so that, that's mainly the reason they want to re research it for all of those reasons. Um, they're seeing, um, uh, they see, they said my administration, I mean Biden's administration, sees merit in showcasing the United States leadership and participation in international fora related to CBDCs and multi-country conversations and pilot projects involving CBDCs. Any future dollar payment system should be designed in a way that is consistent with the United States priorities and democratic values, including privacy protections, and ensure the global financial system has appropriate transparency, connectivity, and platform architecture interoperability or transferability as appropriate. Um, by the way, most of this, is, they also keep mentioning human rights in a lot of this. I don't know if that's um, throughout this thing. So it's not like they're, I don't think their goal is to do the financial repression. That's why I think they might ultimately conclude not to do it. Um, but it's, it's, it's peppered throughout this whole uh, executive order as a consideration here. Um, but they do think, you know, it could help with low-cost transactions, cross-border payments, uh, you know, and greater access to the financial system. All these things that, honestly, Bitcoin already solves. So that's the other problem. Bitcoin solves a lot of this, as we know. We've talked about Strike on here before and how quickly it can send money around the world into all the different areas, right? So I sort of think, like, you're going to ultimately come to the conclusion we can do a lot of this. We can plug into the Bitcoin system. Uh, I do think, I don't know if you guys know this, but Jack Mahler's presented to the IMF at one point and IMF is mostly run by the United States government. And he explained how it impacts um, cross-border transactions and how it could be used that way. And I think that sort of changed a lot of minds really quickly. Uh, so I would be surprised if that comes up. The fact that we already have private companies doing a lot of this stuff. And if we could make it more dollar interoperable, they can use it. They don't necessarily need to create the wheel. They can adopt you know, as we said, USD, USD stable coins, 
and regulate those, make sure that people actually have the funds they're claiming they're having that, you know, the Gemini's of the world. And, and then they can, uh, you know, they don't have to actually do all this stuff. We can let, you know, the cool thing is we are a pretty free market in the United States and the free market does seem to be solving this pretty quickly. So, um, but as I said, there's, let me, let me read a few of the foreign ones. See, so based on potentially United States, the report show included an analysis of, there's a bunch of listed, listed things here. But one of them is the potential implications for national security, financial crime, Cody analysis, analysis, blah, 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 blah. We don't know this, but it says, and implications for human rights. So that's going to be, have to be included. That's good. I'm glad that that's in there. Um, it's going to have to include an assessment of the effects that growth of foreign CBDCs may have on the United States interests generally. So again, the part of this is just the foreign interaction effect. We know China is creating one and China's going to issue it and do almost certainly do all the things we, we don't want it to do. Um, uh, the other thing is to the extent to which foreign CBDCs could displace existing currencies and alter the payment system in ways that could undermine United States financial centrality. So this is sort of like, should we have our own to fight fight them, right? So I think that it's as much it's as much about what's happening here as it is what's happening in China and other countries. And that's why I think it would be irresponsible for them not to study this. And I don't see anything wrong with what they're doing. Uh, we'll see what the conclusions come out to be, but I do think Twitter has been largely wrong on this, on the fear. No surprise there. Yeah, no surprise there. So just to summarize, maybe in layman's term, essentially Biden has directed every department, in, that might not be the right word, bureau or, or whatever yeah. section of the government to study cryptocurrencies, stable coins, all of these things, and just, and you know, and to find, hey, where do they where do they fall uh, on you know the metrics, human rights, and our security and, and freedom, and all these things um, yeah. to study those things. One, because obviously it's a big thing going on in America, and we're they already do tax it, but they're going to want to tax it. They probably see it's going to get bigger. So how do we integrate it? Um, but also, he's probably worried that oh, hey, well we have the petrodollar, right? And and cryptocurrencies are getting really big, and if China has a China comes up with their own cryptocurrency. Does that threaten our monetary security, our fiscal policies in any ways? Do we need to create one as well? Uh, is there opportunity there? So he's just saying, hey, everyone, I want you, IRS, I want you to look at it from your perspective. Defense Department, I want you to look at it from your perspective. Economic Department, like all, I want you to all look at it from your perspective and then come to me and tell me yeah. what are your findings. The Treasury Department's involved, IRS is not. But other than that, yes, you've nailed it. I mean, it's pretty much that FBI... You know, almost, uh, I think the Department of Defense and there is pretty much every agency you can think of that could possibly have an a stake in this. And that's a lot of them because it runs finance to cybersecurity to um, obviously we know it's been used for ransomware and for terrorists. So they, there's a lot of talk about the anti-money laundering laws, how can you control this? You know, we've talked about this here, KYC laws, um, which is you know your customer laws. Um, so, yeah, I do, I do think. You basically nail it. That's the concern, and that's the concern with the CBCs. But there's a bunch of other stuff in here, and one of the one of the most things I'm most bullish about. I really want to read it. So they, you know, they mentioned the energy and the climate change. We've had this debate: Does Bitcoin proof of work use too much energy, and is it good or bad for the energy? And in fact, it's quite clear in this executive order. They heard both sides of the argument and included both sides and are asking the relevant stakeholders, the Department of Energy and the EPA, to actually look into this and find out is it good or bad, right? And so they've asked for several things, uh, for basically reports, uh, you know, this is the National Climate Advisor, Secretary of Energy, Administrator of the EPA. So we're talking to all these guys that we're talking uh, or the economic uh, 
advisors, council chair, council advisors, they're all going to make a report. And they're looking at two different things. One, the potential, potential uses of blockchain that could support monitoring or mitigating technologies to climate impacts, such as exchanging of liabilities for greenhouse gas emissions, water, and other natural environmental assets. So they're thinking about, can we use it as like a, we've talked about uh, carbon markets. You know, we've talked, I think we've talked about those before. Instead of a carbon tax, carbon markets. I think they're thinking about can, blockchain could potentially be useful for this. I don't really see the point. But okay, they're going to study that. But the next part is very, very bullish for me. And the part that I'm so happy to see, like this is the part that really like when it jumped out at me and I was like, I was excited to see it. It said the report should specifically address B, implications for energy policy, including as it relates to grid management and reliability, energy efficiency incentives and standards and sources of energy supply. So we talked about how Bitcoin can actually incentivize green potentially uh, greener, uh, more sustainable energy by, you know, because it's a variable, it's a, it's a variable energy consumer that can turn on and off. We've talked about this before. You could overproduce wind. So that on the, but on the days you really need those, you'd shut, shut Bitcoin down or whatever. Um, the Bitcoin mining is down. That's what they're asking to look at. They're asking, and they're also looking at like the times we use it when instead of flaring the gas, we recapture it uh, and use it on site. So they're looking, they're asking to look at those, all those arguments we made where Bitcoin might actually help. Um, basically Bitcoin mining proof of work might help uh, us transfer to a greener and healthier energy uh, and also the grid reliability, right? So Texas is a good example where they overbuilt now and are now having Bitcoin miners so they can hopefully when they have the high consumption days, Bitcoin miners can shut down and they can provide enough energy to everyone. And I was so excited to hear that, uh, to see that because. Uh, That's awesome because just in, just as a recap for anyone out there who maybe doesn't understand the way the energy grid is laid out. Uh, the base layer is oil and gas um, for various reasons. And we kind of turn on and off renewables as we can, but you're saying if the, what they want to study is if we can just leave our renewables on all as much as we possibly can to mine Bitcoin. And then when we need to shift them, it's, it'll be easier to shift them to our cities because they're already on mining bitcoin and yeah. so then oh hey we we have the usage oh hey flip the switch into the city we we saw this in texas already actually earlier this year um they had a you know another, another cold spike and they have a bunch of bitcoin miners and basically the grid energy producers asked them bitcoin miners to shut down and paid them just a little bit more money than they were would have made otherwise and keep in mind they don't make their margins are pretty small so it wasn't that much they had to pay and they shut them down and they could service all the people and it seemed to work out pretty well and so they're trying to see if that actually is has uh, is going to be a potential use in the future to help stabilize the energy grid, and that's an argument a lot of Bitcoiners have been making, um, and you know all the energy you know pro. I mean, a lot of us are anti climate change as well, but they're like a lot of the hardcore anti climate change uh, ESG folks who just haven't really thought deeply about this see Bitcoin as completely the opposite problem. And the fact that they are asking to study it says that they heard our arguments and I want to take them seriously. And I think if you take them seriously, it's hard not to see the validity of them, at least to a degree. And certainly you'll come to the conclusion that Bitcoin is, if not at super clean, it's a hell of a lot cleaner than people think it is. Um, and the other thing is, the more you subsidize it to help with cleaner energy, you have to understand this. And hopefully this will come out in the report. But, okay, every every miner that joins, joins the network makes it less profitable for other miner, miners, right? More expensive. So if you have a bunch, if it, if Bitcoin helps set up a bunch of is mining on clean energy here in the United States, we've effectively taxed the 
carbon-based uh, miners elsewhere in the in the world. We've, we've, we've increased our costs. And if we increase our costs enough by effectively subsidizing green energy miners here, we can actually clean up the whole Bitcoin mining network as a result. And that's good for the world for if you believe in climate change. So there's actually like, if I were, if I were you know, president for a day and Congress for a day and could pass a law, I would pass laws subsidizing green mining, uh, like green energy, sustainable mining infrastructure, because not only would it benefit us, uh, we have a mine. I believe mining is important to having the United States. Bitcoin mining, if I'm right, Bitcoin long term. Jason Lowry's talked about how we should have some mining infrastructure here, but I think it's also a good industry for us to have. That's good, but also it effectively taxes all the carbon-based Bitcoin miners elsewhere in the world. And so we, uh, I think you could come out with some really great, if they study this properly, come out with really innovative ideas like that, which would be very very good for everyone involved, in multiple levels. Yeah, it sounds great. I I like that a lot. Yeah, that to me is actually, I mean, look, Gan Regin becoming a baller is obviously really cool off of Bitcoin. But the, a close <laughs> second, at least maybe, is, uh, you know, improving or subsidizing clean energy. We need a way to get more clean energy happening. And if you kind of just look at why do people do things, you got to have incentives. For a lot, we've had electric cars for a long time, but no one wanted to buy them because they weren't cool. Elon Musk made them cool, right? We have the technology to do renewable energy, but no one's like, we're like there. Some people are using them here and there, but it's kind of a quirky thing, but there's not a whole lot of incentive for your average person to really just, you know, switch to like, how do they know what, where their energy is coming from? So incentivizing clean energy through the use of Bitcoin, I think is super exciting and could really accelerate getting off gas and oil as much as possible, which we now know. We, we've not now know we have known it, but it's better to be energy independent with all the sunlight and wind we have here. Like, let's go. Yeah. I, I, and I think you and I have talked about it many times. Uh, definitely. I think both of us agree. We should go as fast as possibly to clean up our grid. I think you and I might disagree how quickly we can do that, but, um, but anything that helps incentivize it to do it faster would be great. And, and Bitcoin could potentially be a tool to help do that. I don't, I don't think it's the only tool and it probably won't be the only tool. But it absolutely could be a tool in the um, in the toolbox to use, and because it's so yeah. because it's so integrated to energy consumption, if we use it right, it could be highly effective. I think. I remember in when I was in engineering school, I took a class, and like they have um, plans and designs um, for like something that's actually really hard to do that would be really effective would be putting wind turbines just off the coast, but it's a very difficult engineering problem. There's a lot of wind there, but having a wind turbine float in the ocean and collect all that wind and then send it to shore, very hard engineering problem. Uh, but these professors, you know, their PhDs in, engineer, in engineering and they design this stuff, like, but if someone could just write us a big enough check, we could probably figure it out, right? And I think Bitcoin could be that big enough check because now if you run a large Bitcoin operation, as you said, trying to tax the people who are using dirty energy as opposed to clean energy. Because if you're running a Bitcoin operation, you can come up with a more efficient way to have solar panel. You can come up with a more efficient solar panel. Your costs go down, so your profit goes up. So you're taking this incentive and putting it into renewable energies where if we can funnel some of this Bitcoin money into building better solar panels, maybe I can make more money, right? And the same could be said for offshore uh, wind turbines or underwater turbines, the, the oceans can also spend turbines. 
as well. And there's a lot of these solutions that we have that no one's really just written a check to make it happen because the incentive just hasn't really been there yet. And so that's what I say when Bitcoin really, because I know if I was running my operation, I'd be like, all right, sweet. Like where now, now you're in an arms race to get the cheapest, cleanest energy there is. Yeah. I, I don't know if you know this, my brother actually, his bachelor was integrated science and technology, which is a special degree in George, uh, James, Ma uh, James Madison, JMU, not GMU. Um, and the idea was they kind of saw a need where a lot of the science degrees were separated from the engineering degrees and they wanted to integrate them a little bit more. And so you could do kind of half classes and, and it was relatively new at the time, but his whole like, they kind of do like a project rather than like a thesis kind of idea. And his was on wind energy of all things. So this is back in the day. So it, a lot of it's evolved since then, but uh, he was pretty active in like scouting all the Virginia spots where you could have uh, effective wind turbines and stuff and researching whether or not it would work outside of the you know offshore wind areas specifically talked about new england at one point i think because uh my family grew up there and lived so a lot of it was going to be doing on Doth buzzers bay off of monster's vineyard which is sort of where both both sets of my uh, grandparents lived one on cape cod and one on uh one near new bedford so that was discussed a lot and another thing is i have a friend charles hernick who works for Krebs forum forum which is citizens the citizens for responsible uh energy solutions so it's sort of right-leaning uh guys who are trying to address environmental issues and and, and climate change etc so they're more right-leaning you know more like carbon markets rather than carbon taxes that kind of thing but um I sort of think the I, I think they had uh you know think arnold schwarzenegger you know how he cares about the environment and those the republican those kind of Republicans. Uh, so at some point we should probably have him on. It'd be interesting to talk to him. Arnold Schwarzenegger? This. We should. Yeah, I'll give him a call. Well, him. Yeah, yeah. But let's start with Charles. <laughs> I think Charles yeah. might be easier to get. Yeah. <laughs> but if we can get, if we can get Arnold. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to say no to that. Right, yeah. Arnold, fuck no, off. Yeah. <laughs> well, I got Arnold on the phone, bro. Yeah, we don't want him. <laughs> get out of here. You're a Republican. <laughs> No, he's awesome. <laughs> but yeah, it would be interesting to have Charles on him. Um, and talk cool. about, we have him talk about energy issues. Actually, I was, I sent him the screenshot of the, that bit of the executive order because I've been telling him for a while they should understand the energy implications of Bitcoin. He, I know he, I don't want to out him, but he, I know he owns some. I don't know how much. Uh, not my business. But I know I, I got him to buy at least some so that he was off zero. And I'm like, it's time. You need to really need to learn this. It's because the executive order I've been talking for a while. It's like now the executive order is focusing on it. And I think it's the kind of thing Chris Forum could get ahead of because it's very right. Bitcoin tends to be more right leaning, I would say, than left. There's certainly left people in it. Uh, quite a lot of progressives own it, which surprises a lot of people. But from an energy perspective, it tends to be more right leaning, I would say. So. Yeah, I think, I mean, the president is signing an executive order that I think, well, for one, obviously, millions of people, I would assume, are hired at these agencies and are going to be involved at some level on studying what's going on now with cryptocurrency. So that's just going to make it already more serious topic that more people are going to understand and know about. But also think tanks that are attached to the government, uh, people who want to build businesses that get government funding or do government contract like this has wide sweeping effects for you know millions tens of millions of people at least 
in that might not be in the crypto space that are now gonna have to take the crypto space much more seriously and so I think we're actually starting seeing some of the conversations change around these things where people are like, oh, you people are just playing with World of Warcraft money. Now it's, oh, this is a, a serious financial instrument, a serious technology that we actually need to understand um, for our business and our economy. Yeah, actually, let's let's talk about that for a second because I don't get I made that clear. I think th there's two bullish parts of it that aren't in necessarily in the actual executive order. That probably should be talked about. One, it's the fact they had to address this at all. Like, um, mm. they've gotten to the point where they can't just ignore it anymore. And I told you that I thought they were pretty early about it. But it's not just they were early about it; they felt they had to address it. That means we 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 are here now. We are real. It's a real industry. You can't just ignore it. You can't. It, we're not a pet project anymore. We're going to have real financial money coming in pretty soon. Uh, it also made it very clear that they're not going to ban it anytime soon. And that's the other bullish point, right? You know, Bitcoin's not going to get banned. Sorry, guys. Cryptocurrency is not going to get banned. It might get regulated, but it's, but their goal here is to regulate it in a way that allows the industry to grow. Um, and so I think if I were an investor, like a, at a large head, like maybe not even the hedge funds, probably the more like retail investor guys, um, I'd feel a lot more comfortable putting money in a Bitcoin after that EO. Like the, if you read the executive order, like, you're pretty good and then within there's no reason to believe these reports are going to come out really negative but within the next year they're all going to be out and we're going to see for sure so it wouldn't be surprised if you start seeing some money come in now a lot of money come in after the reports kind of conclude yeah we're not going to ban this we're going to find ways to try our best to track illicit funds and stuff but we're not going to ban it or anything and that's going to make a lot of a lot of money that's been wanting to be involved in Bitcoin, but scared of the regulation, regulatory issues feel a lot more comfortable after the executive order and really after the reports confirm that. So, And it also sets up um, a, a game. I don't know if I really want to use this term, but almost a game theory, because now if you are rich and you are looking for a new investment opportunity, you know the government is going to do this research, right? So you can get ahead of that and do your own research. Yep. And then know and kind of assume probably, oh, the government, this is what the government's going to figure out. And then get ahead of that because a lot of people are, are still like, oh, well, we'll wait and see what the government says. But you can hurry up and do your own research and then get in now, right, before the government comes out and says, actually, there are some very valid uses for this stuff. We're going to keep, you know, we're going to, yeah. we're not going to ban it. We're I mean, going to keep using it. We're going to keep studying it, et cetera, like, et cetera. Like we did our own research and we trusted that the government would come up to our same conclusions, right? And now we right. have evidence that they were required to consider our arguments there's a lot of worry and fear they would just listen to the energy fudsters for instance who are just like it's bad it uses as much energy as a, a as a, as you know a nation without any conversation of what that means or what type of energy it's using or whether it's good or bad like just right. there was no context at all you know it's just sort of these facts that it's really bad for the environment because it uses as much energy as a nation keep in mind that you know it's the old any any 20 rule most of it it was a nation, but it was a nation that was very negligible anyway. And then it had, in no comparison to other industries, cruise, I've been on a cruise ship, cruise ship energy industry uses more energy. And it's decidedly not good energy. I mean, they're burning oil, right? Uh, we know what they're doing. Um, yeah. And, and, and a cruise ship has never again, lifted anyone out of poverty. I've said that before. And, <sighs> but no true. one shits on cruise ships. So, right. um, so there, there was there was lacking all that context context, but now we're we're seeing that the government is going to study the context. You know, they're not going to throw it away. They're not going to take the easy answer. Uh, they're not going to just assume that it's bad. 
or it's good, or for that matter, that it's good, you know. So the Bitcoin is going to, have to relax a little bit and trust that. Do you? They, we have an expression in the Bitcoin community: "Do your own research." Do you? D Y O O R. You have to trust that the government will do that and do it effectively and correctly. But if they do, if we can give them the benefit of the doubt that, and I, I tend to give people in these jobs relatively benefit the doubt. I live in DC. I know what they do. The everyday worker wants to do good work. And that's the kind of executive order you want to see where it's not, the conclusion isn't already made, right? It's, it's trying to get to the right answer with effective research. That's what we want to see. Yeah. Well, I think on some level, I don't know, I would, I guess I can't really speak for the president, but on some level, I think our culture would love to embrace crypto because it's a new industry right for so long it's just been the tech industry right before that it was other so but it's been a while since we have like a new industry and this is really what america in general we really like to hang our hats on is hey we come up with new things we're innovative we push the world economy forward come here give us your best and brightest right because this is what we do and so and i think a little bit of our culture is probably excited there's haters as well of course but then at the end of the day don't you want the government to do its own research you want them to be as objective as possible because if you truly believe in it then you believe that the you're not idealistic then you want those arguments and those philosophies battle tested against a, the, the most powerful bureaucratic uh organization to ever exist the united states government and they will figure out right they will come to a conclusion and that will be the law of the land you want the test it's the ultimate test it's getting called to fight the heavyweight champ so it's uh, very exciting. If you've done your research, you, I, we would assume, I mean, they'll probably have different conclusions than an individual will, of course. Right. And um, there's a lot of different people with different expertise, but, and there's going to be tensions between the agencies. We know that, right. The FBI right. is going to want more surveillance because it's going to make their life easier. Uh, and, right. and other places are going to want less of it. And we're going to see those tensions played out and those tensions are real. I get it. But ultimately I think the answer to that is pretty simple. We have a lot of laws that require intent. And for instance, a good example is a coin uh, coin join where you kind of mix the coin so that you can't tell where it went. Uh, there are people just think it's inherently bad. It's it's always for money laundering. No, you can use it. You can use it if you're a overseas um, political uh, adversary or someone. Right. There's a lot of uh, basically anything used for uh, like basically political uh, dissidents in foreign countries are also used by money launderers. Right. It's the same techniques. So I think the real answer is to make it illegal if you're engaged in money laundering or for illicit activities and otherwise legal. Like another thing is maybe you just don't want people to know where your, your money came from. If you're an OnlyFans operator, you might not want the world to know that you're a sex worker, right? Maybe that's why you want a coin join. Um, so there's a lot of reasons that you could be completely legitimate and actually ones that we actually want to support and a whole lot of reasons we wouldn't. Um, you know, we don't necessarily want you to pay in the drug cartel, sorry. I, I'm pro legalizing drugs, but I don't like drug cartels. <laughs> they kill a lot of people, right? What? Needlessly. A yeah. lot of hot takes on this episode today. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I hate, I, I'm anti-drug cartel. Uh, but uh, so what we could just say, oh, if you're doing it for illicit purposes, that, that it's illegal, right? And yeah, that requires proving those for illicit purposes, but there's a lot of things we have to prove intent uh for in laws and so you could pass that law and allow rather than just saying it's illegal to use coin joints right and just and, yeah, and, and, and if this is done well because it it'll look at the human rights issues you know where we want the political dissidents and people who are uh, we who we don't want to be attacked to allow to do it and we want maybe 
maybe even over in the United States, I'm a, you know, I'm a Chinese citizen, uh, but I want to give to a political distance back in China and I want to be able to go home. I want a coin join, right? And so I can send it. Um, or I want to be able to travel there. I just, or just don't want the world to know them supporting Ukraine with my money. Uh, and I run it through a coin join. Uh, especially if you're like, say you're a Russian citizen in the United States and you want to support Ukraine, very good reason you might want to coin join. You don't want your family to prosecute. Like it's not just you, your family back home might be attacked, right? If they find out. So, and no one would say that's a really, that's, no one would say that's an immoral or should be a legal act. But if you just say you can't use coin joins, then it's a prosecutable offense and we have to leave it to prosecutorial judgment. And that's not a good idea. Whereas if we just said, if you use it for illicit activity, it's legal. If you don't, it isn't. And yeah, they're like, well, couldn't you can you prove the illicit activity? Sometimes it's just easier to prove the intent that you can get you. The other thing is, a lot of times, it's like att attempted murder, you didn't actually do the thing; you just tried to do the thing. <laughs> so we right. can be, so we'll just have well, it. It's I don't know. I don't remember when this came up, but we uh, sometimes these laws will come up. I'm like, oh, we need a law for this. Because so and so it leads to murder, but it, and the argument, well, we already have a, a law against murder. So yeah. why do we need this other law? We already have a law against murder. Yeah, we, <laughs> like and if, we have if attempted you do that, murder. It's already illegal. And, and attempted, attempted murder. murder. So we yeah, don't so recover. You, yeah. So if you money launder, we already have a law that you can't money launder. So don't even if you use coin joins and we figure it out, you were money laundering, like that's still legal. So yeah. what do we what so I'm usually fans of like, well, do we already have I'm a fan uh, of do we already have a law for it? Don't sell drugs, right? Don't and I'm for legalization of drugs too, but like don't run a drug cartel and then money launder money from Mexico to the United States so you can buy a yacht with blood money, right? If we figure that out, and there's other ways to figure it out, a coin join is it doesn't just magically make it really hard to know. Oh, I think this is a drug lord. There's other signs, right? It's already illegal to do that. So yeah. we don't need more laws on the books. That's usually what I'm for. And maybe that's why I'm a little into Bitcoin. I don't know. I'm for that stuff. Yeah. Anyway, so that's that's and that, that's exactly where anything else you want to talk about in the executive order, anything you're curious about. I read the whole thing. And by the way, it did talk about the anti money laundering and all that stuff. All the FBI is going to get involved. I didn't really think it was all that important to go dive because it was nothing surprising in there for me, at least. And I don't think anyone from there that they're going to study that and try to figure out how to deal with that. The, the more surprising I, things was how supportive they were of our yeah. uh, Bitcoin or arguments that we've been making. Um I was a little. I was. I was truly shocked by that. I, I thought. I, I was a little worried they could just buy the energy flood and, and kind of go down that route. And so they're saying, "Yeah, it's an issue. Well, let's look at it. Let's look at it for both sides and give it a real, real, real do." Yeah, so learning that the executive order is essentially, "Hey, let's do our own research." Yeah. I'm. A, I, I'm shocked. I thought it was going to be like, "Hey, you know, if you do it over," I, I don't know what I was thinking, but I was. I was. I was dreading it a little bit. Like, oh man, what is this going to do? Like, this is going to really hamper the growth of bitcoin it's going to just make it a pain in the ass like oh maybe they don't make it outright illegal to own bitcoin but they're like look you can't you really use it. you're not going to be able don't use it to pay your tax don't use it to you know buy a house like oh man that's really gonna but so saying that they're gonna use their own research do their own research i'm ple pleasantly surprised i was just dreading it a little bit so uh <laughs> i'm pumped yeah yeah I, I was definitely pretty bullish when I, I, when I was done reading it i was just like okay yeah, i feel pretty confident that we're we're not going to just get the rug pulled on us on this one and have to have a real fight. We don't have a, and if we can trust the government and in this regard, I think you can, um, to do to really do the research and take it seriously. It's gonna be hard to ignore some of our arguments we've made and come out to the conclusion that Bitcoin is inherently bad. So.
Look, Epstein coin is probably screwed, but Bitcoin is probably going to be good to go. Yeah, there's a whole lot of scams that are probably going to get nailed. And that's actually good for Bitcoin, I think. Uh, there should be more prosecution of the, a lot of I think, outright scams. Like Ethereum, for instance, not a scam a project. I don't necessarily believe in as much, but but there are outright scams on this, and we know that, and they all should be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. Absolutely, and I think right now, I wanted to mention this earlier. Yeah, there's a lot of you could say, oh, there's a lot of scams going on. There's a lot of money laundering going on with crypto, but I I do believe if the SEC and the FBI and some of these other government organizations actually do their job and prosecute some of these extremely high profile cases like Jake Paul, for example, who has scammed $2 million from his followers. If we can prosecute those people and throw them in jail, I think in general, that would actually clean up maybe the Bitcoin community because the criminals realize actually this is a bad idea to pump and dump crypto schemes and use it to money launder because it's actually really easy to get caught if someone does you know research on you and then you kind of gave them all the pieces so i'm actually very hopeful that the fbi might look at it and go actually <laughs> you know let's let please keep using it criminals because it makes it easier to catch you uh when you, I don't... when you tweet at that oh hey go get this coin and then that coin pumps and dumps but <laughs> bitcoin, pretty obvious what you did. bitcoin used with privacy tools actually is pretty secure but most people don't use it privately mm. and don't use the proper privacy tools. And in fact, they should be, we should be encouraging that a little bit more because one of the things about Bitcoin is you want, you want it to be like gold where it doesn't matter what its history was. Gold is gold, right? Uh, Bitcoin as the best money in the world needs to have that fungibility that like that. The fact is I don't care if it came from a drug cartel at some point. Uh, it's not, it's not like a blood diamond where we think it's therefore less good Bitcoin, right? We don't want to destroy that, and we and I do want the government to hopefully understand that the best money in the world needs to have needs to be equal to everyone, like gold, and uh, and that we don't care about its provenance, unlike blood diamonds and other things. So, I, I do think we need to support that in Bitcoin, but understand that's like there are other ways to catch money launderers besides just track. We don't need to just make. Just because it's easier for the FBI does not justify making it illegal. Let's put it that way. You know what I mean? Like our job, like sometimes it's difficult work to be a detective or an FBI agent, and sometimes it actually takes proving things. And I'm sorry, and that's the way the that's the way it has to go. Sometimes, right? We have the whole. It's better to have ten guilty men go free than one innocent person go in jail. It's very similar, you know. It's it's sometimes better to let some drug cartels successfully use Bitcoin than not let any political dissidents use it either. So. Or destroy the fungibility of money itself, which is sort of what we don't want to do, because that is it's interesting that money is at its root. Good money at its root is an organization. It's like the foundational organization of the world. It's how we solve trade disputes and everything. And we allow the market to work, but only if we have really good money, which you know, right now we've argued many times that the fiat currency is not that good. But Bitcoin could be that if we don't destroy its fungibility. And one way to try to do that would be if governments attack that. Uh, just by making its its use is illegal anytime you try to obscure why where your money is going or whatever. Or if you got it from a drug cartel, you can't put it on an exchange, no matter the fact that it may have been four transactions ago and you had no idea you got it from a drug cartel, right? Now, if you're taking money from a drug cartel, chances are you know it if you're the direct, direct interactor, right? That's illegal probably, whatever, unless you were maybe fixing his toilets. I don't know. There might be a legitimate, a legitimate transaction there, but... Good chance that if you're using cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, 
and you got a payment for a drug cartel, it probably wasn't for illicit for legal purposes. So let's assume it was probably we probably have another thing we can prosecute you for than just using Bitcoin. Right. Right. Exactly. All right. I think we bet. I think we beat this thing to death. Anything else you want to talk about today? One quick one I want to talk about. I, I told you to read it. A well-known financial macro guy who also used to work for the Federal Reserve and has a really weird name, uh, Zoltan Polzar, I believe it is. Zoltan. Uh, it, it, you know, it's, it's Zoltan. Yeah, and instead of like Zoltar from uh, um, oh, yeah. from Big, it's with an N at the end. Yeah, and, like from Dude, Where's My Car? Yeah. So Zoltan Polzar. Uh, he's a man. He's a managing director, currently a managing director and global head of short-term interest rate strategy um, at Credit Suisse. Suisse. Uh, and but he was during the financial crisis. He was, served at the Federal Reserve Bank of New York in charge of market intelligence for securitized credit markets. So he was dealing with a lot of the 2008 months and stuff, and he worked at the Department of Treasury. So he came out of the public sector, but he did a whole thing, and basically he did it. I'll, I'll post. We'll post I'm gonna post a link both jumping back for a second. I'll post a link to the executive order and I'll post a link to this. This one will probably not last because I think it's 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 from someone it's unclear to me whether or not it should have been posted if someone posted it. But his letter to his investors, and he was talking about what happened when we kicked uh you uh rush onto the swift network we talked about it a little bit last time, and he basically said the same thing. I said it was the end of the US dollar system. Um I think the last time, and he basically said the same thing. He said we've hit Button Woods three. So he used to say Button Woods was you know, but Button Woods one was Button Woods right after almost the end of World War Two, right when we negotiated. Button Woods two was 1971 onward. We went to true fiat currencies, and basically Nixon overnight took us off the gold, uh, the close the gold window. We've talked about that I think before, but. If we need to, we'll talk about it another time. And he's saying Brett was three started when we kicked Russia out of Swift. And just like me, and that we are now in a financial fight. And his his argument is basically, oh, and also because we we decide we can't have Russian commodities. So we, he's the pricing we're seeing Russian commodities are actually falling. So oil and like Russian oil is going, but oil itself is going up largely. And so how are you going to control these? How are you going to how are you going to, so this is not just a spread in, of, of a commodity oil, right? How are you going to actually bring the separation of this price together? Like, how are you going to actually close the gap? And he says, there's only one person who can do it. And you know who he said it was? Let me guess. Who do you think, who do you think can close the gap between Russian oil prices and the rest of the market's oil prices? Putin? Nope. Come on, we talked about it before. Who made a deal one with One person? No, one, one government. One government. Yes. Oh, Xi Jinping. You said in, one in person. And I was like, Putin's the only one strong enough. So yeah. Oh yeah. One government. Yeah. Xi Jinping. One government slash one person. <laughs> it's China and Xi Jinping, right? And he said basically they're the only ones who can reconcile this gap in commodity pricing because they can print CNY and basically do what we did, or they can sell the U.S. Treasury bills to finance their buying of buying of Russian oil. Either way. Not good for us. He called it, he said yuck both times. He's like, yuck, yuck. And he's like, who's the big winner? And interestingly, he walks through this and he's his he has one final conclusion to the end, and I'll drop that in a second. Uh, and you can probably guess where that one's going. But and it's almost he almost doesn't walk through why, which is interesting. He just kind of says it's good for it. But the one thing he says he's looking at investing in is shipping freight. 
shipping uh, shipping freight rights because his point is you're gonna okay you're gonna buy a bunch of cheap oil from China you're gonna use as much as you can but you're gonna need to store it somewhere possibly ship it to sell it again later what are you gonna need you're gonna need boats you need ships ships are already congested we know we've talked about supply line chain issues already he goes now you're gonna be like hiring a boat just a place to store oil and so shipping rights are gonna go up so uh, he said shipping, he switched freight rights to go all the way up. That was a big winner. And the other big winner at the very end of it, he says in one line, it doesn't really explain it. He goes, after this war is over, you know, because he's basically arguing that we're in the monetary war. We talked about this, I agree. And, and he goes, and if Bitcoin, it, and Bitcoin, if it still exists, then we'll probably benefit from all of this. So that's the other big winner. So uh, it's worth a read. It's pretty. I mean, you kind of have to, that phrase going, so you kind of know the conclusion now, you kind of add it together. There's a lot of things you might have to Google if you're not used to monetary conversations. Uh, feel free. He uses a lot of, he uses like, for instance, PBOC, uh, little O, uh, which means People Bank of China. So he uses a lot of acronyms. It doesn't explain them, which is, you know, makes it not necessarily easy for the average person to read. So you might be Googling a little bit, but trust me, you guys, if you're smart enough to listen to this podcast, you're smart enough to understand it, you may have to Google some acronyms to understand what he's talking about. But I would tell you to read it. I would tell you, Luke, if you haven't read it, I would definitely tell you. But but everyone else should read it. Send me a link I can actually read it from because the last link you sent me, I couldn't open it. (laughs) Yeah, it's a weird link. Uh, It's like a short URL or something. So I'll try to get the the better link in in the show. And other than that, I don't really have anything to talk about except at some point we would... We should go through uh, all of our 2022 predictions to see how they change. I think it could be a fun podcast. Yeah, let's do I it. Think, but I don't think we need to do it today, but we should do it at some point. And guys, let's if you guys any, uh, you guys want to make your own predictions and your own rates, the ratings, let us know uh, your own like your own percentage guesses. Uh, Ryan has sent us in, through text. We try add them. That, that, that could be fun. We can add you know so we can add a fan level one for any of the ones that you guys answer. If you guys want to do that, feel free to reach out to us somehow and uh we'll add it to the list see how close you guys are it's fun to track it i mean it's weird to be held publicly accountable though so but it's kind of cool it's good for you it's good for you <laughs> makes you makes you straighten out your bullshit so i think we'll see you guys next week thank you for tuning in if you're on youtube hit the like button subscribe if you're on anchor Subscribe, rate, review, Spotify, iTunes. Leave us a review. We need it all. We appreciate it all. Thank you guys so much. We'll talk to you next week.